listening to Charge Tech Podcast, the podcast where we talk about tech under the hood. This is also episode number 10, which is really cool. I'm John Edgar, and joining me is my co-host, Owen Williams. Hey, Owen. Hey. What's up? It's like Opposites Day. <laughs> yeah, we did it the other way around. It's fun. Woo. It ask me about cool. the weather. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. How's did. the weather like next? It. Wait, no, you're supposed to ask me about the weather. Hey, how's the weather there, man? <laughs> uh, oh, it's so hot here. It's crazy. Really? Actually? Oh, it's it's probably like 30 degrees C and really, really Damn. sunny. Yeah, so you're beautiful. telling me I should move to New York. Well, I've been telling you that forever. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So it's we've Americans, got real... man. I oh, know. Oh, come on. Come over. Oh, they wanted did me you... in. Yeah. You did the next web thing today. How was that? It was great. I did an Internet of Things panel and I interviewed a guy who's starting a 500 million euro fund, which was pretty cool. So that was fun. <laughs> And now I'm very tired. I'll take but an let's, intro. let's talk about cool shit. Let's do it. Yeah, so uh, I feel like there's a lot to talk about this week. It's been busy, um, and it's only Thursday. It has. I wanted to tell you about a thing that I saw uh, called Google Art Cam. Oh, yeah? Uh, which I, is super cool. Um, so Google has, in, in the vein of them wanting to basically document all the things, um, they have come out with a... a camera through their cultural institute which i guess wow. is their um, they have a cultural institute yes yeah, their group that is uh is focused on preserving the world's culture and history by bringing it online and making it available to everyone that's really interesting so they've yeah so i think i've mentioned this before in the show but my um I went to school for digital imaging technology. And so anything to do with technology and art and like how it plays together is always super fascinating to me. Right. And one of the huge challenges that we had in school was it, it, documenting our work and, and like learning about documenting documents, I guess, uh, using digital imaging. And it was a huge, it was a huge challenge. Then you would basically get a 50 mil lens, like a fixed 50 prime, and you would just kind of draw squares and then you would shoot, um, the thing that you were trying to document, um, loads of times. And then you would take it into whatever image processing, uh, tool you were using, or I, I wrote a Python script for it and you'd stitch it all together. And then you kind of have to work through masking and, and getting all of the, uh, different layers of the image kind of to look like this big holistic deep thing that you could zoom really right, closely right. into and look at every detail. Well, so Google's just audit, like b- built a camera that just does that. For it looks you. awesome so you set too. It up. Yeah. It's amazing. Watching it run is so fun. It's a, it's a gigapixel camera. Um, and it like kind of just has a grid itself and just uses motors and stuff and moves itself around and, and, uh, yeah. And, captures the whole image and when you look at the the depth of the um the depth that you can go into the image it's so detailed you can see every single brush stroke in in the paintings that they've captured so far so hey, that's crazy the yeah, uh, the video checking out the video uh where they're showing it off i actually just went to their museum the other weekend and the art that they're showing in that video is beautiful um it's kind of ironic dutch art man a lot of good stuff yeah and i think it's amazing that like there are there are like 
that's our privilege, right? We're able to go view that art because right. we live in the world where we can do that. And so we get to enjoy the world's cultural or culture and history. And this is kind of like one of the great equalizers that the internet gives us, right? It's this yeah. like concept that if you, you can't go and ever see that up close, but you yearn to, we'll make it available to you in a lower friction manner. And like, that's super cool. I I love more accessible like that. Yeah. So that's cool. Very, very cool. I want one. It just looks like a giant Instagram icon. (laughs) Like the camera itself. It's really, it's really nice. They do a good job. Them Googles. Um, so yeah, that was cool. And then I don't know if you saw also that Snapchat was, uh, getting some new funding. A lot of money. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, it says that they raised $1.8 billion, which is just like phenomenal, man. That's like, that is next level stuff. So it's really interesting to see that they're continually raising that much um, because their last round was pretty sizable as well. I mean, Snapchat's one of those companies that seems to be going from strength to strength despite whatever odds is against it. It's, you know, they've made $58 in revenue, I think uh, I saw in 2015 which is pretty impressive given that the only uh, monetization that they've got is via the snapchat discover thing and filters that's a lot of money given the fact yeah. that they're like yeah so early in the game do you think that then they want to be an actual proper like broadcaster like a broadcasting platform sort of like the new mtv or whatever and like do original programming yeah like it's all it's all distribution right like they want to be the place you go to find out like what's up right so if you look at discover like i don't really think it's the greatest um version of where it will be but it's kind of an interesting approximation of like a new consumption method mm-hmm. it's it's like the the combination of portrait video you know which uses your whole screen on your phone and the way you're holding it a lot of people get upset about that. They're like, oh, portrait video is terrible. But actually, it's the natural way you're holding your phone 90% of the time. So it's 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 amazing that they nailed it and nobody else had really done that before. I think eventually they'll add stuff like live live shows or aggregate stuff. But I think what they're doing right now is amazing. And I mean, Snapchat stories, that's why I'm so big on Snapchat. I love Snapchat stories because you just put shit in there and people just look through it. Like it's no pressure and you get a lot of little like chats and it's cool. You actually, you actually feel like you're seeing what somebody's life is like rather than just Instagram. I really like it. Do you think that you would be willing to consume long form, short form, ephemeral content created by content producers? So let's say that Degrassi had like a, a four Snapchat only original content thing that was like, you know every episode was Hmm. two or three minutes and maybe they sent you a new one every day or something like that or you could follow like wouldn't it be cool if you could create a whole interactive thing around that where you could follow people who weren't real and it was like a whole play like it was a whole production right yeah i think that that will be eventually what they do i think that the way that they're doing it right now is letting it come to you but I imagine what they're really working on is a, a killer distribution model because right now it's like the whole Snapchat thing is there's no way to find other people except via Snap codes, which is which is fine. But eventually they're gonna you know unleash this whatever it may look like for finding content and subscribing to it. And I think that's when it gets really cool. Like you can subscribe to, hey, maybe you want to subscribe to your like favorite HBO show. And they can send you updates and little videos. Like there's a lot of different stuff they could do. And I think that 
anybody who's skeptical about Snapchat now because the UI is bad or they don't like the way it works is is going to be surprised by how far they go. Yeah, I wonder if uh, so. As we love to speculate on acquisitions, I wonder. So, good Snapchat acquisitions <laughs> in that light would be like netflix or comcast or time warner i guess they have the cash right like snapchat with 1.1.8 billion or whatever in cash is just an insane it gives it so much power to not only build out the tech but itself as a media company that owns the media you know so there's a long game here for sure uh evan spiegel is their ceo right yeah interesting guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I don't i think i don't know anything about him because i think my understanding is that's kind of on purpose. Like he's a pretty behind the scenes dude, but he's right. quite young. He's like, he's 25, right? Yeah. He's a really young guy. And he just seems to be, uh, very much so just playing it as he, as he sees it, which seems to be working really well for them. I've seen a lot about like what it's kind of feels like to work at Snapchat. There was that big leak a while ago that he got quite upset about. Yeah, I think he said something, uh, he said something along the lines of that. He cried when he saw it in public, which was really interesting. Like he's building a really young company and doing it, um, very intentionally. So, and it's probably not like any other company you'd see because how, how many 25 year olds are given that much cash, but it sounds, you know, that, that Sony leak that happened, I think that's what it was that, you know, that he was already working with these big movie companies says a lot about him as a person and what the company is going to do. So it's, I, I'm really like, I guess bullish on Snapchat because I think they're going to do cool stuff. I don't, I don't know what the end game is still. I mean, they seem like they're willing to experiment with everything, which is really cool. And they actually ship, yeah. which is amazing. Yep. I'm, uh, I'm slowly coming around to the idea that Snapchat is interesting. And I think, uh, I thought it was, I didn't really get it at first, but this is the thing there's right generationally like I some like I don't know what if you're 19 18 19 today and like you just use this technology as like your life now it's kind of like MSN messenger and IRC and stuff for us back in the day like I don't know that anyone would have predicted that slack would have come out of like an idea of IRC and that it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't see these things coming as frequently yeah. because I, I guess I'm not as in touch with how people consume software under the age of like, sure. You know, tw- 20. It's changing. Oh, it's changing a lot as well. Right. Like, uh, I think Snapchat came at a quite, quite a pivotal point for social media where it was shifting from, um, friend, friend to friend on Facebook kind of very much so in public to this this model where I mean if you see what's going on right now most people on Facebook are messaging each other on messenger that is where all of Facebook's growth is none of the original sharing is coming from posting on people's walls like you did like 10 years ago you know so I think Snapchat came at an interesting time because for Facebook they were trying to figure out the next big thing people were starting to get used to like to group messages and point to point and talking in private a lot more which is fine. And then Snapchat came along and they kind of enabled that with multimedia, right? They made it possible to send people video and audio and keep them up to date and have these little story things that tell like a really like nice, authentic story rather than just bullshit, you know, Facebook posts. So it's, they kind of came at that crux point where people wanted, I think people were burnt on, burnt out on social media. You, we had MySpace, we had 
Facebook. We had, you know, each country had its own seemingly specific um, social network. We had Bebo in New Zealand, which is hilarious. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there came at a point where people were burnt out on just social networks in general. And Snapchat was almost like the anti, anti, antithesis of social networks, right? Because you don't feel like you're on a social network. You're just sending photos to people. It's just stupid, yeah. but it's awesome. I really appreciate, and I didn't, I think, did you ever use Meet Spaces? Meet Space? Mm, um, I think I had an account. I didn't really actively it use it just, though. It always depended on your friends. Thing, yeah. Uh, and it was yeah. like the first time I really felt super connected to this idea of ephemerality because it turns out like I hate all my email being there and I hate all my iMessages. Like I don't, I don't really need that archive. And I kind of like that Snapchat is prescriptive about it. You know what you're getting. It's not a choice that you have. It's like, if you're using this, you're using it because you don't care about archiving this moment. You care about sharing and living in this moment. Sure, exactly. Because I mean, and, and again, like I said about, you know, social networks and publicly sharing dying. And I think this it was the same for photos, like people just stashed photos and they never looked at them. And there was this kind of turning point where people realized, yeah, I can just send the photos for what I, you know, most people would take photos, send them and never, never look at them again. So and Snapchat you, was perfect for that. Yeah. So where do you think that that fits in with what Twitter is trying to do with its strategy? I'm sure you heard that they are uh, yeah. changing things up a little bit. Um, Big time. Yeah. So you want to talk to that a bit? I, it's super funny because in the Trello, I was like, what did I, uh, what did I call it? We have a little Trello board that we use to organize in a, uh, I wrote Twitter slash everything is futile. Everything is futile. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I don't know. Like I really, I really like Twitter. I'm very active on there. It's a, it's a fun medium for meeting people. But so the thing with Twitter is a lot of people don't get into it and they're slow to ship. And I am super into it. I've made a lot of friends there. I've gotten jobs from there. I really, really like it, but it just feels like they don't know what to do. And I can't see it. I can't see them getting any bigger than they are right now. It's just such a different kind of medium. You really have to put a lot of time into Twitter and you really have to spend the, invest in building your network there. And most people aren't willing to do that. That's why Snapchat's so successful is you just add people around you constantly and eventually you've got a lot of friends on there. Whereas on Twitter, it's really just like this huge chore and they don't seem to be really making any sizable improvements that I can see. So yeah, so the, what they did this week, they announced that photos and usernames won't count towards URLs. They're kind of killing off the weird name hack that everybody used to do. So if you wanted to reply to people, but for everyone to see it, you would put a dot in front of the at reply and they're killing off that thing now. So like it won't work that way anymore and you can retweet yourself. And there's some fundamental changes that I think are long overdue. Like I'm really glad it's happening because it was horrible even getting a username that was less than eight characters at this point. And, but the, I just don't, I don't see anything coming out of Twitter. That's compelling enough to bring people across moments was like a noble effort. And I think they did a good job shipping an interesting product, but it's not something that people are going to sign up and be like, wow, I can, uh, read the news like in a flipboard but inside twitter it's just i'm on the fence man <laughs> yeah you know uh i almost so i think part of the demise of twitter was going public i think that was yeah. just like it was a, too soon really i was really uh um 
way too early. Uh, and I think, you know, you look at what their peak stock price was and I, I don't think it ever got above 70, uh, 70 bucks, but it like still, you know, that's a lot of money for a share of a company that basically exchanges messages. Sure. And I'm not changing my long stance on Twitter, but I do, I, we've said this before, the public markets need to be kinder to Twitter, but actually probably what, when I think about everything you just said and really like just go back to fundamentally the fact that they actually just never should have IPO'd in the first place. The yeah. stock price is so low right now. They should just raise, like someone should take Twitter private. Kind of like what Dell did to bring themselves yeah. back from the brink. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I feel like that's a lot of their problem is they have to ship product to meet the public market's expectation that they don't necessarily want to ship. I Like the way that they kind of seem to behave is it's, we want to service the core, but we can't because, uh, well, ads and all this good stuff. Like it's just, it's just really interesting to kind of watch. I think that they've come leaps and bounds, but it's kind of surprising to me. I don't know if they're slow to ship, but it's just kind of arbitrary. It just seems very strange that they're such a big company and yet they're still shipping you know, only so much every, every couple of months. Whereas Facebook, it feels like every time I logged in, something's moved around and that's, I mean, that's their strategy and they have a lot more money, but it's still interesting to kind of watch and painful. I mean, it sucks. The thing, I think the thing is that Mark has a cohesive vision for what he wants Facebook to be. And he's very thoughtful. Like he, and that's like 10 years out. Yeah, like Mark Zuckerberg is a successful CEO because he's a, he's a very thoughtful human and he thinks right. about things really, really deeply and says, okay, if these things are to be true in the world in the future, then here are the wedges that I need to drive into. Right. And if these things aren't going to be true, how do I make them true? Twitter is like, hey, we've got a messaging app and uh, stars and now hearts. Yep. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, like the core proposition of Twitter hasn't changed fundamentally over the years. And I think that before Jack came back, which should be a song, um, before he came back, Twitter was, you know, really deeply afraid to make platform breaking changes and like, fuck it. They should change fundamental things and start really messing with it. I, like, I, when they started talking about changing the length of tweets, mm-hmm. I was kind of into it. You know, I, there's a number of ways they could have done it where it wasn't the tweet itself changing. It was actually like the attachment. You can make a blog post or something on Twitter. There's so much stuff that they could experiment with in public to see how users respond. And I just want to see them kind of like just grow a pair and run with it for a little while. I don't know. It seemed yeah. promising when they were um, doing all those A-B tests all those years ago. You know, they were messing around with all these kind of product ideas, but then basically none of them came to fruition. It's a shame. Oh, well. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, We'll see. Too. I still I think, love Twitter. Yeah. And I'll use uh, it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> speaking of publishing, I, well, actually, I, I guess I did want to say, like, you know, it's interesting. I lose the most number of followers when I use Twitter for the thing that I joined Twitter for. So I joined Twitter as literally a micro blogging platform, like just being a narcissist and just being like, Hey, I'm having pizza. Hey, I'm going to the movies. Hey, like want to see yeah. my plants? Like all these just like crazy things about my life, what I'm doing, like what I'm like sharing, what you do on Snapchat. and 
then I feel like over the last few years, there's been, I have felt a pressure in like building my air quotes, uh, air quotes, personal brand. Um, uh, God, I know, (laughs) but whatever, (laughs) actually, uh, a pressure just to like share links and interesting things. And also like, as more and more serious people have started following me and more and more like people think about my Twitter as my work persona, I've kind of changed the way I use it. And I find that if I use it in the way that people want me to use it, Mm. I actually like gain traction and following and stuff like that. If I use it for just like farting around, which is actually what I want to use it for, for, I lose followers. So yeah, I don't know. I miss being able to be, you know, uh, as you say, authentic on there. I don't know. It just changed. It did. I think that a lot of social media changed to like hashtag personal brand. And I miss, yeah. I miss old Twitter a bit. Hey, maybe we just start alt accounts and start shooting the shit there instead. <laughs> True say. Um, did you follow, speaking of media platforms, did you follow, I, you, I presume you've been following what's going on with Gawker Media generally. Right, yeah. The, uh, the lawsuit of Hulk Hogan against Gorka for releasing his sex tape all those years ago, right? Yeah, so they yep. won. They won, yes. The uh, judge rejected the um, the motion to uh, do a new trial, or I can't remember the specifics. But uh, the big drama was Peter Thiel's behind it all, like funding everything. <laughs> like, ah, it's so <laughs> hilarious. Um, <laughs> so for people who don't know Peter Thiel, like what's some background on him? I guess you probably know. A lot more detail than me. Is it? I think the T is silence. I think it's Peter Thiel. Oh, it is. And You're right. Oh man. Yeah. He and I think he he'd be sorry, Peter. Peter, don't sue us, <laughs> um, or at least don't find someone to sue us. Yeah. Uh, so Peter is part of the PayPal Mafia. He's an old school software guy. First wave of internet companies. Really, really great thinker, super smart guy, um, very, very like pie in the sky. He wrote one of my favorite philosophy books uh, from zero to one. Is that um, worth reading? Or zero to one. It is really worth reading as long as you don't look at it as a business book or a startup book, but look at it as a as a comment on on what humanity has created as society. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really cool. Uh, I think I think people who don't like it really look at it as a startup like textbook, sort of like a Malcolm Gladwell type thing or something. And it's just it's not that. Um, So he um, also I, I I, yeah, he's gay. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that he was particularly vocal about that. I think partly because, no. and I don't know, this is my speculation. That I don't think he just cared. That was something that he cared to talk about. Not mm-hmm. not that he wasn't out, but that he just wasn't a big deal, I, I think. I don't know. That's my, my uh, interpretation from all the reading that I did on it. But um, so Gawker sort of, I guess, outed him. Um, and... And a number of years, years ago, have, too. Yeah, Valley Wag and Gawker have just generally kind of been the the kind of New York Post of the of the Valley, right? They're just like a they're just a they're they're a gossip rag, and so over the years they have sort of, I think, really deeply hurt people, and and I think then I guess what happened was Peter took a lot of. 
of offense to that and said, well, I have a lot of resource at my disposal and I'm going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what he did. Yeah. And he, uh, I like that he called it, I think, in the New York Times, philanthropy. I was quite amused by that. So I don't know. I I have two, I'm very conflicted on this. I thought about it a lot this morning. Um, On one hand, I feel like there's some First Amendment issues here a little bit. Like, it's kind of crazy that this guy just like didn't like what a publication wrote. So he took them down, but then they've also kind of skirted the law for a long time, knowing that people didn't have the resource to chase them right. and that the legal system was difficult to navigate and it would take a long time. So interesting. I don't know, like it's karma in an odd way. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I don't really fall on either side of the fence. I mean, I think that it's important to have a free press and I'm, I'm, it makes me a little uncomfortable that billionaires should be able to like shutter news organizations they don't like. It's, it sounds like Gork is for sale. I don't know if you saw that in the last kind of hour, but it sounds like their reaction is please buy us because <laughs> they're going to run out of money if they actually have to pay this. So it's... It's, well, it's the end of Gawker, I'd imagine. Yeah, I imagine so. Um, so it's 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 terrible in that regard. But then again, I don't like how they kind of behaved so do you know nick danton we follow each other on twitter apparently um but that's that's how much i know him i haven't met him in real life a lot of people have said that he's not a he's he's a very troubled human interesting i i can't be in a position to judge but that's very interesting yeah well so that's interesting i guess i i i found that pretty pretty fun but weird yeah um Mm. Nice. This is it's a insane amount of money, and I also wonder if uh, if Peter will make money from right. this. Probably, like, because I think he put I think he put ten million mm-hmm. into it, and I think that they got one hundred forty or something like that, more than Gork is worth. Yeah, yeah. So, but they can appeal, I yeah, think, right? Like, gonna... there's still that's the last thing they can do. Yeah, but that's that's a long process. So you'd put? Oh, I don't know if they can. Didn't they? Didn't they reject the appeal? That's possible. Well, know. we'll put the link in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Microsoft and Nokia. Completely dead, basically. Uh, they laid off a lot of people this week. So we talked last week about how Nokia is being, well, the shell of Nokia is going to make phones again. And uh, this week, Microsoft laid off thousands of people in the phones division. So it sounds like they've essentially written off the entire deal completely. They've lo- they've shed all the employees. They've basically gotten rid of everything except i guess they still have the patents that they acquired but that's it is that the end of lumia phones it kind of looks like it so maybe they're still in the phone game but it's kind of interesting that they're out altogether which is a shame like it's a shame that there's no third operating system really in the running at all anymore and it's google versus my um google versus apple and that's it it's it's a shame but they also didn't do a very good job. Do you think that there's still room to, like, what do you think the next wave of innovation in the personal communication world is going to be? I think, hmm, well, the problem is we're at the point where we can't go any thinner, really, uh, and speed is starting to not matter anymore. Uh, you start talk. I would start thinking that graphic, graphical-related things are really interesting so like you can squeeze more gpu chip in there still i think um smart assistants 
is really the thing. But again, that's I mean that's in software. Um, you've got sensors. Sure, you could add a few more. There's quite a few more interesting things. But I think a lot of the really interesting stuff is happening on the software side now. And it's all about how they balance that with the hardware, right? How good can you make a camera, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and how good of a camera do you need? Hey, man, they'll, they'll just keep making it slightly better until the end of time. And it, like, it doesn't matter anymore. If you have an iPhone 6 and up, the difference is so marginal. It's crazy. So... I'm what do you have you did you I just like caught a glimpse of something that uh flexible like uh LED or flexible screens are are pretty close to being ready for prime time so I mean I guess that means that we could have like really good wristband phones where like they like go around you and then you could unwristband them like, and, like that could be interesting for VR maybe more than anything, you know, if it's not a flat surface at the end of a uh, Google Cardboard type mount. And that's probably the other area I think that phone phone makers are going to take it next as well is using it for a different thing than you originally used it for. So, I mean, Android at Google Cardboard is a great example of a really cool way to use a phone. It's it's almost like abusing the phone's form factor for for the greater good. So a flexible phone might be great for that. I think that, yeah, VR is really where the next hardware battle is. It's like push more GPU power into a, a handset and, you know, mount it on your face. And I think that's really quite a lot more interesting than even these Oculus headsets because they're like the gateway drug to VR. And a lot of, you know, the a lot of the winning VR applications will probably be stuff like Minecraft or some new title that emerges in that area. And it's not going to be super graphics heavy. So it's not... It's not insurmountable to imagine that VR actually ends up shifting to mobile completely, you know, and then those immersive experiences are the ones like you go to the movies and you use Oculus or if you really want, like your game console is an Oculus maybe, but for lightweight VR, a phone is great. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next 10 years we managed to get to kind of a Google Glass type of uh, heads up display and then i yep. i've been hearing about some uh investors who have invested in some cool companies recently that are working on on very small uh sticker like devices that go inside your ear that tr- interesting yeah that uh do uh bone the bone thing so they like conduct it the conduct oh, yeah, like bone, bone induction thing, yeah uh, and then also i think use um taptic to like to produce the frequencies that your ear needs to hear to uh produce the sound so right. or to to hear the sound uh so like you could effectively have the microphone and um and and speaker in your ear like stuck there's little stickers that stick inside your ear. Yeah. So if that combined with like some primary device, like a wa- an Apple Watch or something like that, plus a Google Glass type heads up display, and then you mm-hmm. just layer on augmented reality with VR, there's like that's that's an interesting ten year kind of horizon to think about things might come together over. There's a lot of potential, but I think that in terms of just the phone. You know, the phone OS battle is kind of, 
you know, it's it's incremental now. Same as same as on desktop OSs. If you look at what Windows has done in the last like five years, it's just completely nothing really. Like they've floundered around, make it made it a little faster and added touch. You know, like it's it's incremental at best. So yeah. I think at the experimenting with things like you're saying, you know, is is where it is next. It's it's a really good question. I I'm very curious. I think WWDC, which is what like two weeks away now, is going to be quite a tone-setting developers conference for Apple because nobody knows what they're doing now. And I think I've mentioned that a bunch of times, but it feels like Google shipped all this great stuff. They've got home assistants and they've got a great voice assistant. And Apple, meanwhile, still has Siri, which is just a egg timer. <laughs> and that's, you know, they've got iOS, which is fine, but it's not anything particularly amazing. And maybe, maybe my expectations are too high. Like maybe I just want to be wild all the time, but I just don't think that, I think that Apple will set the mood and it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Maybe they're going to surprise us and ship VR, but like, who knows? My view on Apple has always been that they don't, they, they, they actually they only go short on things that are required as in- incremental steps to their long positions. And so if, which, I mean, I guess that's a super obvious thing to say, so whatever, <laughs> but, um, so, but if you, if you kind of think, well, Google, Amazon and Apple likely have relatively and Microsoft maybe, have relatively similar directions that they're going to. Apple has a history of just kind of ignoring what everyone else is doing and then like being like, oh yeah, you had like these cars that like were self-driving cars that Google gave you like two years ago. Well, those are toys compared to this well, thing that got. you didn't even, yeah, well, you didn't even imagine. And like, well, it's and like now what here's the Apple thing. watch did even, you know, a lot of people will probably write me hate mail for this, but I remember I'm write you hate mail for this. Yeah. But well, I like think back to when they unveiled it though. I think that when they unveiled it, the category looked awful everybody was anticipating nobody well nobody knew what apple was going to ship and everybody else was shipping these uh i was on this panel i was on today was uh they coined this term like b2g which is like business to geek products right so android wear was out and samsung had its thing and they all looked like ass man like it was it was bad and then apple bought out the apple watch and you're like wow actually like maybe some people who aren't nerds might wear this uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying the Apple Watch is like the most beautiful thing on the planet because I, I think that they can do a lot more with it. But I think you're right in saying that they can redefine stuff way after other people. You know, Apple Apple was dead silent during much of the early wearable days. And then they shipped Apple Watch. Nobody had any idea what it was going to look like. And it came out and I think the general reaction was, wow. And then you see the price and how little it does and that. Yeah. But <laughs> like Apple, Apple didn't invent the cell phone. Apple didn't no. even invent the smartphone, right? No. Like Symbian was a relatively good operating oh, system. Yeah. yeah like sure. s- smartphones existed. They just redefined the smartphone category in the manner that it should have been defined <laughs> in yeah, my opinion. With multi-touch or, you know, and smooth scrolling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the iPhone really was a, a re-evolution of the, of the cell phone industry. Right. Um, and I'll tell you, Owen, I, I see at least a minimum of 10 
probably more like 20 uh, Apple watches on the street every day in Manhattan. Yeah. I see. I see quite a lot around for how new of a product it is. So it's it's interesting in that in that regard. I, so if there's an Apple car, which I'm sure there is, if it ever sees the light of day, I think you're right. But anyway, it's besides the point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the category is changing. <laughs> uh, I guess I w- I was thinking it would be fun to talk about one last kind of conglomerate subject, which I just guess nice. is going to be a reoccurring theme that we talk about every week because yeah. it does seem to work out. People that way. seem but, to like it last week. So. I we just before the show, um, my my friend uh, Eming sent me artificialintelligencenow.com, mm-hmm. which is the White House and New York's uh, University's Information Law Institute, with the support from Google Open Research and Microsoft Research, are hosting a major public symposium to address the near term implications of artificial technologies wow. across society and the economic system. Crazy. They're going to focus on the challenges. Of the next 10 years and specifically address themes like social inequality, labor, uh, financial markets, healthcare, and ethics. Leaders from the industry, academia, academia, and civil uh, society, society will share ideas for technical design, research, and policy direction. And it's um, at the White House, right? That's what you said. That's crazy. Uh, it's in, no, no, it's in New York. Uh, it's oh, right. at the... Um, it's sponsored uh, by the White House or something like that. Yeah, but it is sponsored by the White House. It's spo- NYU. So there was a, I don't, I'm not really supposed to talk about this, but I don't really care. About um, <laughs> nine months ago, well, in November last year, there was a invite only um, collective of really senior people at... Um, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, some Israeli companies, uh, and and senior I mean like like one or two top level executives. Like I think had his CTO maybe of like I don't know like really really really, uh, and then um, a cup very few two people basically from from the journalism industry that i mm-hmm. know of and then a bunch of professors and some lawyers and then like uh some policy government policy people and they sat down for th- three days i think two days three days closed door right. at, at nyu and just discussed like the reality of realities like what does this actually mean what have you considered how are you thinking about these things and i suspect that this is the uh the public um, the public face of the conversation that started in, in that. And I think that that really goes to pointing to how quickly things are moving and how uh, seriously people do not take that. Um, yeah, AI is way further than we think, I think. We yeah. were talking just before about the invite saying something along the lines of, what the implications of AI are five to 10 years out. And I thought that was, I said optimistic, but I meant pessimistic because I think that's a lot sooner than a lot of people realize and including, you know, the government and a lot of these companies even. Yep. So it's going to be interesting. And I think that I'm really happy that we're having this conversation um, because, because we talked earlier about how artificial intelligence really is a very, wide term to discuss or to to lump together a lot of different and in and of themselves incredibly complex uh 
uh, computer science and technology um, uh, disciplines, right. uh, like neural networks, deep learning, uh, cognitive research, algorithmic research, mm-hmm. uh, and then just like kind of basic if this, then that glue together things are all very different ways of thinking about uh, having software define functions that we currently use ourselves for. Um, and all of them have very different impl- implications on different areas of of socioeconomics. Um, and so I think the most basic form of that is almost like just very basic robotics with some algorithm that knows how to repetitively do a task that a human can do. And the real world implication of that is, well, Foxconn just laid off how many people like 60,000 or something. Yeah. 60,000 workers. Um, and they expect to, to reduce it by another hundred there are another yeah. uh, 50,000. So it's sooner than we think. And, yeah. And, and that, and that's just one aspect of the workforce, but then there's also, well, what does, what does deep, deep human near human artificial intelligence do for things like the arts? <laughs> you know, yeah. like I read a great blog post by a friend of mine who used to work at an AI website builder company. Anyway, uh, and he actually trained a computer to uh, pick fonts that were desirable to the eye, basically, based on a bunch of parameters. Like you could drag a bunch of stuff around and it would look at all the fonts available to it and it would go, oh, this is the best one given the circumstances. I'll post that blog post in there as well. It was really fascinating. You know, I read a, I read a kind of naive article. Maybe I'll share it. In the, I thought it was a naive article um, by some cognitive researcher at Harvard or something. He basically argued that the brain is not a computer. And he systematically went through why the brain is not a computer. And I was like, yeah, I completely agree, but you're missing the point. The computer can be the brain. <laughs> like, yeah, the computer doesn't sit, the brain doesn't simulate a computer. It works in a different way, but a computer can simulate a brain. <laughs> like, I think there's a lot of naive stuff like that going on. We'll, uh, we'll definitely win this event happens we'll talk about it i'm sure in depth but i i yeah i posted this um article last week about what it feels like to be on the brink of ai and a few people wrote me about it and i think that it is something that we should all be aware of i mean i wish i was like an ai engineer or something because <laughs> i wish i knew more about it but it's it's something that's very real and is happening right now and you know i mean it ai doesn't have to destroy work as we know it it can actually be a cognitive enhancement as well you know it can actually help humans so there's a lot of opportunity i think it's it's going yeah. to change a lot it's really it's really kind of like mind-boggling to think about um and it like makes me kind of just realize how small the world is but <laughs> yeah well and now that you can basically clouderize is that that's yeah. my word that i'm okay. making clouderize. clouderize you can clouderize anything um so i was reading that um that uh at amazon is clouderizing it's uh, clouderizing AI, i love it so much ai ai offering really um, wow yeah so you'll be able to consume it as a as a um as an api endpoint which is awesome so you know uh Everything goes to the cloud. Uh, Salesforce just said that they're strengthening their relationship with uh, Amazon and um, moving, I don't know, something like 
I don't know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of their infrastructure to, um, to AWS. So, oh, four, four, $400 million of, of AWS spending. So yeah, like everything goes to the cloud, everything's clouderized. We consume it as cloud services and then it becomes super easy to We're gonna copyright build with these things. Huh? Clouderize. It'll be like Docker, but for AI. Clouderize. It's like anything. Any quick. Let's let's found a company. Yeah, cloud, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. You heard it here first. Yeah, I, I agree in general. It's 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 an interesting time. I, it's just made me think of them terrible Johnny Depp movie, um, where he like uploads his brain into the computer or whatever, and he becomes the AI and he starts learning really quickly. And he's like, "Put me online, please. I need to be online." It's an awful movie. Don't I've watch it, it if you you think considering it. Sounds it. terrible. Uh, it's well, it's like it's interesting, but it kind of deviates at the end. Anyway. Um, and then they connect it to the internet and it's like kind of a good metaphor for what can and will probably happen. They, they connect it to the internet and suddenly this AI just like kind of sucks it up, uh, you know, yep. basically instantly and starts doing stuff like trading all the stocks at, a you know, a billionth of a second and making a lot of money and messing with stuff to fix it up and making, yeah, that's just like, it's kind of science fictiony and it's ridiculous, but it's also kind of like, uh, oh, this actually is, it's kind of reasonable. <laughs> so don't watch that movie. It's terrible, but also maybe do. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's pretty much what we wanted to cover this week. We went a little bit longer yeah. than we usually do, but I kind of felt solid. like that was okay because we've actually been getting a fair amount of feedback. Yeah, people like the longer ones and being existential, so that's really cool. And if you do like this, please tweet us on at Charged Tech. Um, we appreciate hearing from everybody. Yeah. Owen has the most brilliant Twitter handle, at OW, and I, I am at J. Edgar, uh, just like... Did I tell you how I got that Twitter no, handle? tell me. I didn't tell you that story. No. It's uh, used in the old days of Twitter. You used to be able to um, claim them. Like that, there was a while where you could you could request them and they would grant it. I didn't get it during that phase. I got it in maybe in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I had a friend who was a Twitter employee, and uh, I messaged him and I said to him, "Do you miss Do you miss home?" Because he was from New Zealand. He's like, "Yeah, I do." Uh, and I, I told him, "What would I have to give you to?" Uh, get at ow well he said well a couple of kilos of chocolate from home <laughs> so i uh i i like i fedexed him some chocolate and the next day i had uh at ow on twitter so it was, it was awesome That's amazing. <laughs> and they shortly afterward changed their policies they actually don't don't do that anymore because people tend to get upset when you move twitter handles because people squat on them it's awful they need to start releasing them but anyway besides the point that's the story of how i got a two-letter twitter handle it's a good one so yeah cool yeah it's nice good episode sweet good chatting with you as always yeah um yeah thanks for hanging yeah. out and thanks for listening folks we'll see you next week we'll see you next week we'll